0: Yes runners, welcome back to the Tractor podcast. My name is Lloyd, your host for today's episode. Unfortunately, I'm not joined by my glamorous co-host Alfie today. He is busy running around in circles being a professional athlete, but I do have a guest lined up for you and I do have a banging episode for you runners. So whether you're out on your long run, you're at work or you're on the bus, you are going to enjoy this one. We have got the OG member of the On Athletics Club, Joe Klecker. Not just an Olympian, not just the American champion, but now also professional Koros athlete. And this episode is gratefully brought to you by Coros. Thank you so much for their support. And today we're talking all things tech, watches, heart rate monitoring, and also sleep quality. We're going to bring you everything you need to know about Koros and how Joe uses it for his training, but also his racing and recovery. Now, if you don't know, get to know Koros is the best watch brand on the market. I'm wearing mine right now as you speak. And if I didn't have my Koros, I'd probably run all my easy runs too fast. But this man, Klecker, has run 12.55 for the 5,000 meters, and he's run 27 minutes and 7 seconds for the 10,000 meters. So this man knows everything he needs to know about running fast. So we sit down and we talk all things about his origin from becoming a professional athlete in the early 2020s. When he signed for ON and he started working with Dathan Ritzenhain, how he uses the Coros tech, not just to monitor his training paces, but also improve his recovery and his sleep quality. And of course, we talk all things US trials and making that 10,000 metre team for the Paris Olympic Games. Now, to keep up to date with everything Trackster, head over to our Instagram, drop us a follow. And if you head over to our YouTube channel, you can keep up to date with all of our longer form content, including our weekly news show this week in athletics, which drops every single week. And we round up all of the running news so that you are kept up to date. I'm going to stop waffling. Welcome to the show, Mr. Klecker. Joe, how are we, my friend?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, out here in Boulder. So just back training.
0: What's the weather saying compared to this gray, bleak London weather I've got?
1: Yeah, we got a lot of sun here. It's been a pretty nice winter for training. Yeah, only a few days of snow so far. But yeah, no, it's it's warm and sunny, which which is super nice. But yeah, it gets a bit windy is the only thing.
0: You've been out there quite a while now, haven't you? You know, How many years would it be that you've been based in Boulder?
1: Yeah, I guess I started college in 2015. So this September will be nine years. So yeah, it's been quite a while.
0: Right, you're one of the locals now. You, if uh, you feel like you're finally settled in, is it one of those that you feel like you can never leave now, or is it? Uh...
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I love. I mean, for training, I love it out here. Um, I, as long as I'm running, I think I'll be in Boulder. Um, but I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. My family is all over, like Midwest, and so I could see ending up back there. But yeah, for for training, I couldn't see being anywhere else.
0: Yeah, Boulder's like. That place, isn't it? Especially in America, where it's like it's the running mecca. It's the place where it's, it's known as the best place to train. But for for those listeners that maybe don't know why it's so good, can you explain to us? You know, why Boulder the best place to be for training and and, and you know best for your sport?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love Boulder because one, the weather is great most of the year. Like even in the winter here, we're getting fifty degree days, uh, sunny most days, uh, and even when it's snows, it melts real quick. So that makes it very nice. Um, the other thing is I like the altitude. I think being around 5,000 feet is kind of a good balance where you can train really hard, but still recover. Um, I've never been to Flagstaff, the other popular training venue, but we have gone up and run uh, in the mountains here in Boulder at about seven, 8,000 feet. And it just feels so much harder, um, than being down in Boulder at about 5,000 feet. So I, I don't, I think it's a good altitude where you can train hard and um, recover. I think that if I was in Flagstaff, things would have to be dialed back a bit more, which obviously, you know, a coach can adjust to, and people do great training in Flagstaff as well. But, um, running here in college, I really got used to, to training here. And after college, I really just wanted to stay. I didn't feel like I needed to go to a higher altitude to really, you know, get some more benefits. Um, and then the other thing is just, yeah, the dirt roads here are great. North of town in Boulder, we just have miles and miles of dirt roads, and so, like from my front doorstep, I can just get right on the dirt roads and put in you know ten miles all on dirt, which is just great for
0: training, um, getting off the pavement. Yeah, that's such a that's such a runner's thing to relate to, isn't it? It's like if everything sucked in an area, but there's great trails or there's a good road that you can get your mileage done. It's like well, it kind of turns it into a decent place, but. Um, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like Boulder's, Boulder's pretty immense and obviously there's so many fantastic athletes there have headed there to base themselves there. But you're off the back of the two-mile race at Milrose Games. How have you been since? Have you just locked straight back into training or did you take some downtime? Where are you at right now?
1: Yeah, so kind of through, it was kind of an unfortunate timing this indoor season, I, I ended up getting quite sick um, and we kind of pushed forward because I was able to still do most of my training. Um, despite feeling not maybe 100% but we wanted to go and try and get the 5k standard and then Millrose games has just been historically a great meet for our team so I didn't want to really miss that even though I had quite a quite a bad showing out there um I just didn't feel like myself that day uh but yeah I think the best way for me to kind of you know put that behind me was just to get right back into training uh this week you know I didn't feel too tired coming off the race I felt like um Going into the race, I was just getting over my sickness and I thought I was feeling like ready to go. And then, you know, in the pre-meet the day before, I was just like, man, I don't, I don't feel too great, but I was already in New York and I was going to give it a go. Um, But yeah, this week I've actually felt really good. Things have kind of turned a corner. Um, But yeah, all focus now is on the 10K. I mean, that was kind of the focus this whole indoor season. Like we wanted to try and get the 5K standard without compromising training for the 10K as much as we could, you know, not resting too much, um, not cutting down the training too much and really keeping the longer stuff in there. Uh, in hindsight, missing the standard by a second, I maybe should have rested a bit more, but I was just coming off having a, I was pretty sick or like right before that race and after it. And so I'm not reading too much into the the indoor season. I really think I'm in a good spot going into this 10 K and, um, that's kind of been the focus this whole indoor season.
0: So I just want to take it back a few years, Joe, you know, you're an OG member of this on group, which is, which has gone on to do incredible things on the world stage, but also it's been a bit of an inspiration for further on groups around Europe and further afield. Now we've got the Australian group as well, but how, how would you sum up your experience so far with the brand and within the team that is now world-class?
1: Yeah, I think that being an original member, I have a little bit more kind of like steak. You know, I, I've, I've seen this whole thing. I've seen the brand grow a lot. I've seen this team grow, you know, like we just signed uh, like last year we or maybe a little over a year now, we got Mario and Yared and it's like, wow, like year one, we never would have imagined getting these top recruits out of college, you know? And so that's been a really special thing. Um, and just seeing that over the years, as we've continued to put results on the board, continued to kind of grow our, our fan base, the, the company has really embraced us and seen a lot of value in what we're doing. And so like here in Boulder now, we have like our own gym space with a number of treadmills and we were able to bring in physios a lot more. And our, our budget has just really helped us to do the things that we need to do to stay world-class. I think year one, I always tell the story that our weight room was Dathan's garage and, you know, we were very much you know, didn't have all the resources we have now. And it was just kind of a group of guys fresh out of college. And we just wanted to prove ourselves. And now I would say we're pretty established. And the nice thing is, yeah, the brand has really seen value in what we're doing and really embraced it. We have an assistant coach now. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, the other teams they've formed over in uh, Europe and Australia now has been another really cool thing to see, but also a really valuable resource because like when they come over here, oftentimes they'll come to Boulder and we'll be able to train with them, kind of show them the ropes with like where to train and they'll be able to use our weight room. And then similarly, when we go over to Europe, um, like St. Moritz, they will kind of show us the ropes because they're more based there. And so I think it's been a good, um, kind of an ecosystem, you know, where we can just kind of draw on each other. Um, And I know, like, for the Oceana team, they want to come to Boulder and do a stint of training and some racing this spring. And just to have that kind of, you know, home base here in Boulder where they can come and they know they have a gym space, they know they're going to have good physio um, and a team, you know, of people versus just kind of figuring, like, oh, you know, where are we going to go train? Hopefully it's a good setup before these big races. You know, it's just like they know that's going to be there. And so I think On has done a great job setting up these teams in a very strategic way. But yeah, I think the the biggest thing I've seen in the growth of this team has just been the talent we're able to attract, you know, like, like I said, with yard and Mario and, you know, signing these big names, it's like, wow, me and Ollie and Jordy, you know, year one, like we never would have imagined that we were just, you know, it was those people were always going to the Bowerman track club or, you know, these other teams. But now I feel like we're very much in, you know, leading the way, getting these recruits and just continuing to build on our success.
0: Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And within the team, Joe, you know, for example, you're going to have different roles. People are going to play, whether they've got official roles or whether they've got unofficial roles. You've got the motivator, you've got the straight talker, or maybe they're the compassionate one. How, what, If you had to give yourself a role within the current OAC team, what, what would you summarise yours as? I think I just, I mean,
1: I would say I try to be... Like a, like a leader on the team in the sense that I'm one of the old older guys on the team. I'm only 27, but we're kind of a younger team. And so obviously, you know, maybe, you know, like Yard is maybe the most established on the world stage right now, but like still trying to be a good leader for him. And like, he's young in his professional career and just able to like offer advice, like things that I've done wrong or things that um, could help them kind of avoid mistakes. That's where I try to play a role. And then also um, I think that, if you ask anyone on the team, I'm someone who's always willing to lead the reps. I mean, I love pulling the team along. I think this indoor season, we had a very like community goal to go to Boston and all run 1305. And we really took that to heart in training where, you know, certain days people would be struggling, but I think we really just wanted to pull each other along in the training and go into Boston and all just kind of knock out this Olympic standard. And obviously some of us were just short and some of us got it, but it really created like a good sense of team and a good common goal for us to go after. But that's the type of thing I like to foster on this team. I think that this is such an individual sport. And if you're just only focusing on your own goals, it can be a bit, uh, it can get a bit like isolating where if you really try and um, push your teammates and help them reach their goals, you have a lot more interest in what they're doing. And likewise, they have a lot more interest in what you're doing. So You know, like just for example, like yesterday in a workout, uh, Jordy was really able to push me in these 400s. And, you know, some workouts, um, I might be able to help Yard do some like strength work that maybe he couldn't do as easily on his own. And so these different aspects, we're all good at different things. And I think leaning on each other to help push us in different areas has really benefited us all.
0: You spoke about a lot of the improvements within the team in terms of access to facilities and resources as, as on as grown as a brand. And obviously, you know, you've got your gym, you've got your physio, and it go on and on and on the list of support that you'll have. But eventually, somewhere along the line, as a professional runner, um, working with a professional coach, you'll start looking at data and you'll start analysing sessions. And every coach does things a little bit differently. But in terms of Coros, now you're working with them as one of their pro athletes. When was the first time you, you, you used one of their watches?
1: Yeah, we first used their watches actually... It was year 1 in training camp when we were down in Scottsdale Arizona we they sent us some watches and that was the first I've used it ever since and yeah I just recently became uh, an actual sponsored athlete for them but I've been using their product for a number of years.
0: So if you go back to the first time you was wearing them and, and say like you know the first 3 3 or 6 months of wearing that first watch what what bit of feedback was it from the watch that you were like yeah this is this is what I need for my run. And this is a cool bit of kit. This does X, Y, and Z. This is exactly what I need, you know, because, you know, I think of the watches I've used over the years, they were all only giving you the same thing. But I remember the first time I wore a chorus, I don't know what it was, but I uploaded my first run and I was like, this is just way more what I need. What was it for you?
1: Yeah. Big thing for me was uh, the battery life was like the first thing that stood out to me was that like (laughs) this watch, I'm like never charging it. And like when we were down in Scottsdale, you know, like, you're living out of a suitcase and like I swear I probably went the whole month without charging it which was nice you know so that was a one big thing and then also it was just the accuracy of it like we would often before that year like people on the team would have other brands other watches and like they would all you know chime at different times for the for the splits but I've just noticed that when like me and Ollie I think we had our choruses on at the time we'd always ring at the same spot and so it just seemed like there was a bit of uh a bit more accuracy to the the data you were getting and that just kind of led me to think like at the time I just believe that yeah this product just seems like a lot more consistent or more reliable and that just is why I kept using it I mean I wasn't sponsored at the time but you know I had access to all the wash brands that I could have used but um, chorus was the one that I really just kind of found
0: that worked worked best and one of the things I like within chorus and, and the app but also sort of outside the app as well they're always developing not just the equipment but also the software and one of their newest products is this is the heart rate monitor it's the, one of the first ones that i've seen that you wear around your arm i don't know about you but i was always used to wearing around the chest and never being that comfortable but what types of training would you be using the heart rate monitor for now is it all across the board or are there specific types of training where you're like they're the ones that I need to monitor my heart rate yeah, yeah.
1: so initially um yeah. Like you were saying with the, the strap, I used a couple of those in the past and I always hated it. It felt like it constricted my lungs a bit. And so once they came out with the, the armband, I was really excited. I was When I got, first got that product, I was like, yeah, this is going to be like so much of an improvement over having to wear the chest strap. Um, but initially I really used the product, the, the armband for dialing in the efforts on threshold work, um, being able to have that accurate data of Run, making sure you're running in the right effort. Obviously, you're taking lactate readings, but you can kind of correlate that a bit, not perfectly, but with your heart rate. And so on the longer reps, just having an idea that you're running the right effort and kind of trusting the data you're getting was super important. Um, And then more recently, I've started using it on a lot of my VO2 sessions as well because um, I first wore it in a race uh, at the US trials for the 10K last year. And it was interesting to see my heart rate data and to see how high my heart rate was getting during the race. And so, in some of these VO two sessions that I've been doing, I've found it valuable to to see if I am getting up to that kind of max heart rate, um, like I wore at Millrose. And one reason I could see that um, I wasn't quite one hundred percent was I could barely get my heart rate over. Um, I couldn't get it even close to what I got it to last spring during my ten k. And so that led me to believe that you know I wasn't quite. Feeling one hundred percent over this sickness, like I just wasn't able to push to that level, and so that that has been of value recently to kind of see, like, okay, like I am getting my heart rate back up to that, you know, one ninety mark, which is kind of what I think my max is around. And like, obviously, you are not pushing that in every workout, but when you are really going for it, to see that you are getting your heart rate up there, I think is valuable um, in the sessions.
0: And you said there about lactate testing, as we've seen, it's almost like on. I've kind of not made it famous, but it's like you run for on, you measure lactate. It's kind of like the, the, the standard procedure now. But when you're doing your lactate testing throughout the season, uh, you know, however regularly you do it, um, I suppose that's my first question, yeah. If you could give us some insight in how regularly you do that with with Dathan and the team. But looking at the data that comes back from the Coros and the heart rate, how do you, Dathan, your team work with that data to then relate it to the numbers that you would have received in testing? So there's kind of two questions there. I know they're a little bit bit drawn out. Yeah,
1: I would say the, the biggest way is like, say for instance, I go home for the holidays and I'm on a different treadmill, different altitude. And he assigns me, you know, eight times a mile at threshold. It's hard to really assign a pace to that when there's so many different variables to what we're used to in Boulder. In Boulder, we're at the same altitude, at the same gym, on the same treadmills. We can kind of dial that in pretty good. But knowing what my heart rate is in those sessions in Boulder... I can try and replicate that on the treadmill in Minnesota. That's a different treadmill, different altitude. You know, everything is a lot of different variables. And that's been a way that I have found it really useful to just able to um, do these workouts anywhere and know that you're roughly going to be in that right zone. Obviously, that like you'll still be doing the lactate testing to confirm it, but it gives you a good starting point versus like, okay, you know, in Boulder, you're running five minutes per mile. Well, now you're at sea level. Let's try and go for 40 a mile. And if you start out and you're way too, going way too hard, then you might've already kind of um, overdone the session a little bit. And so versus with the heart rate, it's like, okay, let's start at five minutes and kind of inch it down a little bit until we get that heart rate around where we know it is in Boulder. And that was a much better approach for dialing in those efforts. So that's the biggest way I've found to use kind of that heart rate and lactate testing. And then as far as frequency of lactate testing, like you're mentioning, I think we don't do it quite as much as some of the teams. I know the OAC Europe team does it a lot, like almost every session, it seems like. Um, Dathan more recently adopted kind of doing the lactate testing about a year ago. And we're really using it as um, early in training to kind of get that, just to see where we're at and kind of um, make sure our efforts are like early in the season, aren't too hard, and then kind of throughout the year, you know, doing these kind of like key sessions, like eight times a mile is a very common one and seeing how the pace gets faster throughout the year. And, you know, the lactate readings, trying to keep them around the same value. And so it's been a way to kind of track fitness in that way. Um, but certainly like a lot of the VO2 sessions sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll do readings, but with a team of 15 people, it can be logistically a bit hard as well. Uh, so I would say that, we don't do as much testing as a lot of teams, but I think we do enough to get value out of it. And we do it when we feel the session needs to be controlled. Um Dathan to- also is of the mindset that say we're doing eight times a mile. He doesn't like think we need to do them all at, you know, 2.0 millimoles of lactate. Like he will oftentimes have us do maybe five at that kind of like lower lt one. And then, maybe our last three will be actually slightly over lt two kind of working more of like close to 10 K pace. And so that's one. And then when you're doing that, you're reading, you know, it's just going to skyrocket and that's all right. And by Dathan's training, that's what we kind of go off, um, which is a bit counter a bit different from like, I know how a lot of the Europeans use lactate testing where it's like very much to the, to the number, they keep it there. Um, And so it's just a way we've found that like, that's just kind of how his training is, you know, like he's not going to totally change what he's doing just because it's a trend. But I think using that data, um, you can gain some insights still and it can kind of like tailor what you're doing a little bit without totally changing your philosophy.
0: And then in terms of sort of peaking for races, so us trials, for example, how does Dathan use that data that comes back from Coros to then, tailor the sort of spearhead and the, the, the peaking process into a race because it's such fine margins obviously especially at your level with we're literally talking margins of seconds especially when you're going for standards H- how do you work with Dathan using the app you know can you sort of paint a picture of, of how if you can think of an example in the past where Dathan may have gone oh we're going to change this slightly because of this data or, or or maybe maybe he doesn't you know if you could give us mm-hmm. some insight that'd be great
1: yeah I think that just the training plan as a whole, as we get more into racing and peaking, we go away from a little bit of the really controlled lactate to running more 10K pace where you're pushing above LT2 a little bit. Um, As far as the data, I think that Dathan is not – like a lot of the data is kind of stuff I'm looking at myself. Like I going into a race, one thing I really look at is the the sleep data, Um, making sure that um, I'm getting in my sleep but also tracking the HRV. Which is a new feature from Coros. They have the overnight HRV monitoring, and that's something that I'll look at going into a race to make sure that I'm recovered properly. Um, And looking at that, I know that going into like these last couple races, usually when I go down to sea level and I and I'm resting, that HRV just goes way up because my body is in such a recovered state. And I wasn't quite seeing that. And so in hindsight, like it's a little bit late when you're already at the meet to to really tailor back the training a bit. And I don't think it was necessarily the training, but I think it was coming off that sickness that my body was under a lot of stress. And so I could see that going into the race. And I, um, it, I think it explains a little bit kind of the results I had looking at some of that data and like looking at the heart rate during Milrose and seeing that I wasn't able to push it as high. And then correlating that my HRV was not uh, as recovered as it might be when I'm feeling very good. And so you can look at these data points and it kind of paints a picture of maybe why a certain result didn't go exactly how you had it on paper.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's what the, these pieces of equipment and especially the Goros with the latest updates gives you. It's like you've got your coach on the track, but then when you go home, it's almost like you've got a coach in your corner at all times monitoring your recovery levels, your HRV, as you, as you said, and but also your quality of your sleep and things like that. Are there any sort of top tips you could give our listeners to... To, in, to improve their recovery from things that you may have picked up from the app and then you thought, you know what, I need, to, I need to do something here. I need to make sure that I'm better at doing this for my recovery so my sleep can improve. Is there anything you've done in training or in recovery that could help our listeners?
1: Yeah, so since Corvus launched the continuous HRV monitoring, I think it was a couple months ago, I've been you know, doing certain things and then kind of looking at how it affects the HRV. And so one thing I've been doing is um, I'll do like a sauna in the evening I've seen some research shows that that can really help with just getting uh, relaxed and improving your sleep quality. And I've noticed that that helps with the HRV as well as improving the sleep quality. Um, Another one is usually when the sun goes down, I'll wear blue light glasses um, because obviously I don't just put my phone away or watching TV or whatever it is. You have a lot of screens and that blue light has been shown to uh, mess with your circadian rhythms a little bit and also impact your sleep quality. And so by doing just these little things, um, you can actually see quite an increase in your HRV showing that it's making a difference in your recovery. And you might think like doing that for one day might not make a huge difference. But when you're like, now I'm in this five week training block before the 10K, um, those things add up over time. And that could be the difference between, you know, going into that 10K and feeling really fresh and recovered or going in there feeling,
0: you know, a bit, a bit worn down. And you said there you're in a five week block now up to the uh, up to the 10K. Can you give us an example of what, you know, bog standard weeks looking like for you now? It's one of the it's one of the things on this podcast that we generally don't like to ask because it's like, oh, another another runner talking about their Monday run. But I think this is such a niche type of training. You know, you're targeting uh, a world class 10K to, to make the game. So it'd be great to get some insight on that.
1: Yeah. So how I'm looking at this five week block is basically three weeks of pretty intense training, more of like a, a steady week and then a rest week. So this is now, you know, last week was the first week after Milrose and it was a big week. We're up around 113 miles. I know for me, that's a big week. Um, and the workouts are getting more uh, specialized towards the 10 K. So again, kind of taking some of the, like, we're normally like we do a lot of threshold mixed with speed in a workout, we're kind of shifting that where the workout like yesterday was all 10 K pace, um, and then faster. So 65, 64 seconds, a quarter and faster. And so there was no like, you know, slower running in between. Um, so that's one change that we'll have in this next five week block is the, just the velocity of the training gets a lot higher. Um, and we do long runs every Tuesday. And so a way that we can do that and get away with kind of taking that threshold work out of the, the um, hard session is we'll add it into our long run. So like tomorrow we'll do probably three to five times, two miles uh, during our long run, trying to be around LT1. So pretty relaxed effort, but still getting in some of that quality strength work um, that we're taking out of like the, the harder workout. Because oftentimes with Dathan's training, we'll do things like, you know, hard kilometre, and then, uh two kilometers at threshold, a hard kilometer, two kilometers at threshold, kind of early in a training block, and then, as it gets closer to like a big race day like uh the sound running ten k, we start shifting it where now we're doing ten k of specific work all at pace versus where before it might be half and half so that's a big shift for me- uh kind of for this next five weeks um but yeah. Like I would say just doing a lot of 10 K pace work and then also, um, finishing the workouts pretty hard, like having a little bit more intensity. Like I was saying with the indoor five K and millrose, we didn't want to cut the training too much. We really wanted to keep kind of that strength in there. So it's not like we were finishing workouts with a hard quarter or we weren't really digging in those workouts. They were, you know, maybe running 85% where this next five weeks, we're going to push that up a little bit and just to be really ready for this 10 K.
0: And in terms of, you know, if you think back when you first signed with the team and you've worked through these years and you've had such success and, you know, hopefully even further success, take away the sort of title of, of professional runner and just give yourself, you know, the runner cap. If you think of your running as a whole, what's the main area where you, th- where you think that's the area that I've improved the most? And I'll answer that, ask that question in a slightly different way. Was there an area when you joined, when you became professional where you were like, I suck at this. This, this is my weakness. This is the one I need to turn around. Yeah, that's
1: actually that's a good, uh, a good question because I think that in college and like before I joined on and was working with Dathan, I was running a lot of miles, a lot of like zone two work, and I was very strong at that. And kind of the area that I really struggled actually was these big VO two sessions. I wasn't my body just uh, physically could not handle them. Like a session like yesterday where I had ten k of work at. Um, 10K pace and faster uh, four years ago. There's just no way my body could have handled that, and so I would say the biggest area I've I've improved. I think everything's improved a little bit as I've gotten older, but being able to handle these big sessions and recover from them is the most important thing. Because year one, we did some big sessions that would rival some of the stuff I'm doing today, but we there's no way we were recovering from them. There's no way two days later we were doing you know four times two miles in a long run, and so being able to adapt to these big sessions and come back and, uh, not have it impact the rest of the week, you know, like four years ago, maybe we'd hit a big session, but I would be so messed up for three four days that you wouldn't get much training in after that. And so right now, I really feel like that's where I've improved the most.
0: I think I know the answer to this next question. I hope I've got the answer right. But what would you put that down to? What, what is, what are the, If one thing or maybe multiple things, but from going from an athlete four years ago that maybe was able to do the session that then would be cooked for a few days to now the athlete that can can do these sessions, recover and crack on the next day and not really have many hiccups along the way.
1: Yeah, I think part of it is just, you know, becoming a pro runner and having more time to recover and adapt to things. But with that being said, even year one, like I was not able to recover, having that time, not having school, um, I think the biggest thing has actually been like our weight room sessions and our physio. Um, We have a really good um, physio from Michigan that we work with and he writes all of our strength training. And I think that he's like, he's been seeing me since day one on this team basically. And so he's seen kind of my body transform over these four years. And he, he will say like, as he's working on me, he's like your muscles feel like younger than they were four years ago. When you started this team, like your muscles were so tight And it was like, you'd finish these sessions and they'd be even tighter and it'd be pulling on your tendons, you know, and you were running really tight where now it's like you're running more loose and your muscle tension is just a lot better. And so a lot of that is because of, I think, our strength training and our our physio work with uh, our physio from Michigan. So that that's where I think has been like a secret way that we've been a very healthy team.
0: Yeah. It's almost like secret way in terms of the sort of professional level. But if we think of more recreational runners, strength and conditioning is obviously so important. And I think it's classic for so many runners to just sack it off and, and not do it. But uh, if any of our listeners are listening, then go to the gym tomorrow and do your S&C training for sure. So back to the, the Coruscant, Joe, the base fitness in terms of, I mean, your score I'm sure is off the charts, but when you think of maybe when you have an off season or after this, after the season, that in-between stage, um, and then you think all the way up to, you know, the sound run 10 K and then even beyond that up to Paris, how do you use the base fitness score or you and Dathan in, in, in your training to make sure that it's almost, a, it's almost confirmation that you're on the right track and you are moving forwards.
1: Yeah. I look at it as a way to basically see the cumulative training you've done. If you've been really consistent and you've had really good long runs, really good sessions, Um, been able to keep the volume high, that base fitness is just going to keep creeping up. And when I look back over the years, when I see big dips in that base fitness, it's always been times where I've been really injured or not really injured, but where I've had like an injury or where I've been, you know, haven't been able to work out for a few weeks and it kind of goes back down. And so seeing it just steadily increase uh, into a race is just shows you like, yeah, this has been a very consistent uh, block and I've just been building fitness day in, day out uh, over the course of it.
0: So Mr. Donnelly from On would kill me if I didn't ask a question about product. So the new On spikes, the lower drop, how do they compare to the the current ones? Do you notice much difference from a feel perspective or performance output?
1: Yeah, so I think that the new spikes, I'm always not the best person to ask because I run pretty high on my toes. And so in terms of how aggressive a spike is, it doesn't matter for me so much because I always run so high on my forefoot. But what I can say is the new spike, they've adjusted the fit of it. And it it fits a lot better. Um, It's a very comfortable spike. You know, I think the current one you put on and some people's foot, it fits right. But some people like I've gotten a few blisters in them. But the new spike I put on, it just fits like a glove. And I think for 10K, that's the most important thing. Whenever I'm working with Jordan, I tell him, look, you know, if the spike performs 0.1% better, that's great. But if I'm getting a blister and have to drop out of the race, then it's obsolete. And so... I think that, um, they're always weighing that, you know, like performance, but also it's so important is comfort and being, you know, like in a 10 K you, if you get a, a blister or something at one mile, it's going to be hard to to focus on that race. If that's just, you know, causing issue. And so that's been my best takeaway from the new spike is the comfort of it is so great. And performance wise, um, I feel similar. I think maybe it has a little bit more foam stack height. And so again, for 10 K, I think it's just great.
0: And final question, Joe, for anyone that currently doesn't wear a chorus, why should they go and buy a chorus watch?
1: Yeah, I would say one is the the battery. If you're like always showing up to a run with a dead watch, uh, that seldom happens for me with chorus. Um, and then, yeah, just the, um, that they're always innovating, you know, their, their software, their features um, like you might buy a watch now, but in two years from now or a year from now, it might even have more uh, software features and that or and more metrics you can track. Like we're saying, they just came out with the continuous HRV monitoring. Like that wasn't available when I got this uh, watch at first. And so it's just a very innovative brand and they're always looking for ways to get more data and have that data be useful. I think is the biggest thing. Like, showing you ways that that data can help your actual training versus just giving you the data and so that that's why i've really found that coros does a good job of that
0: you heard it here first listeners Joe like approved go get your coros but thanks so much for joining us on the show joe and best of luck for the rest of the season we'll uh we'll be keeping an eye out for your results man yeah thank you all right bro i'll catch you soon see you mate yep bye well runners that was such a great conversation with the man himself, Joe Klecker. I hope you've taken some value away from that, not only to use your own chorus for your training and your racing, but also just the mindset behind one of the best athletes that we have on the planet right now. Now, if you've made it this far in the episode, we do have a sneak little preview, or a little bit of sort of news to look forward to from a perspective of the Trax, the team. You may be seeing some new people on the show soon. You may be seeing some new faces in front of the camera. I can't tell you any more information yet. I wish I could... But rest assured, it's going to be a very, very exciting 2024. My name is Lloyd. I have been your host for today's episode on the Trackster podcast. Please do drop us a follow on Instagram to keep up to date with everything that we're doing here. And if you like the show and you love today's episode, please do leave us a review. Those words go so far in ensuring that we can keep quality of this show as high as possible. Once again, thanks to our sponsor of the show, Coros please head over to their website to check out their range. My personal preference is the Coros Pace 3. I use it for all my easy runs, tempos, threshold, marathon long runs, and my workouts. It is the GOAT of running watches right now. And, uh, yeah, other than that, have a fantastic week, runners. I'll catch you next week for another chat. See you then.